Yeah, I'm excited. I personally love movies. Like, I don't know about you guys, but I probably watch one or two movies a week. Um, I grew up in a household where we didn't watch a whole lot of movies. And so as soon as I was in college, I was like, man, I'm going to watch every movie I can. At one point during college, I was averaging a movie a day, um, mostly because I had no friends, but also because I loved movies. And I, I began to just like fall in love with movies. And one of my favorite movies of all time Mad Max. Now, Mad Max was originally a movie starring Mel Gibson in 1979, but unfortunately, that's not what we're talking about today, mostly because I wasn't alive in 1979. Not even close to it. My parents hadn't even met yet, so um, I wasn't even a thought on anyone's mind yet. But Mad Max had two sequels that came in the early 80s, and then luckily for all of us, they decided to reboot Mad Max last year, starring Tom Hardy instead of Mel Gibson, which I think is an excellent pick. I love Tom Hardy. He's so cool. And we're going to notice a trend. He's way better at delivering his lines than I am. So he's going to say something, and then I'm going to repeat it later, and I'm going to sound way lamer than he does. He sounds so cool when he delivers all of his lines. Now, like Daniel mentioned, uh, this is an R-rated movie. So I want to talk about that for just a second before we get started, because Christians tend to have... uh, a tendency to fall into one of two categories. The first category is that, that R-rated movies are the worst thing on earth and that if you even like, look at the poster for an R-rated movie that you're probably going to go to hell. The other stance is, you know what, we are saved by grace, we're good, so I can watch anything I want. And today I want to suggest that perhaps there is a middle-of-the-road option here. You see, I think that there's something that can be gained and learned from this movie. We've noticed a trend the last couple weeks as Daniel's look at different movies, that movies, and he said this last week so well, that movies are great at identifying problems that we have in life, but they're poor at giving good biblical solutions. Now, the incredible thing here, and you're welcome to not believe me yet, is that Mad Max actually manages to do both of those things. Mad Max gives us a problem that we have as a culture and society and in our own lives, and then it actually gives us a biblical solution. Now... I understand that none of you believe me right now. If you've seen this movie, you're going, Joshua, have you seen this movie? And then others of you are going, what is this Mad Max thing? And who is this really creepy guy on the screen? That's Max. He's actually the hero, believe it or not. So I want to intro this movie really quick. It's in post-apocalyptic Australia. Things are not good in Australia. Now, I've never been to Australia. Maybe this is what it's like right now. I don't know. I assume things have gone bad. But there's been a nuclear fallout. There's been a war over oil and gas. And the world has basically ended. And the world is now an eternal desert. There's no water. Gasoline is a commodity. And things are not good. And so the movie opens on Max, who starts off by giving us a quick insight into his life and how he's just trying to survive. So we're going to go ahead and roll the first clip. So I hate to state the obvious here, but things are pretty bad. Like, I don't know about you guys, I struggle to eat vegetables on a good day. Like, I couldn't imagine how bad things would have to get for me to eat a live salamander. Like, like that is really concerning to me. Like, I think at a certain point, I would just be like, it's too far gone, I'm just gonna die. Like, things are bad for Max. The whole world is like this, that, you know, that last shot where you see, and it's just desert as far as the eye can see. Everything is orange because it's just all sand and death and destruction. And you see, things are only going to get worse because Max's survival has been reduced to a single instinct. 
survive. And his whole life has come down to this one thing where he's just trying to make it another day because things are bad. He just lost that super awesome car, which I'm super disappointed. Like, I cringed the first, I was like, oh, not the car. Luckily, Max survives, but things are only going to get worse for him. You see, those people that captured him, they're actually called war boys, and they work for a much scarier guy. You see, they work for a dictator of sorts, a guy named Morton Joe. Now, Morton Joe is creepy. He's weird. He's like, he's a super creepy dude. So if, if you don't like creepy people, we're going to show him on the screen for just a second. So just go ahead and cover your eyes. And then we're going to throw him up and then take him down immediately. All right, you ready? You're with me? We're on the same page? Okay, ready? This is a Morton Joe. Ugh, that's a creepy dude. Yeah, take it away. I don't want to see it. That would have given me nightmares as a kid. <laughs> and Morton Joe is a bad dude. You see, he's a dictator of one of the little, like one of the few wells in this entire wasteland. And you see, he's got more water than he knows what to do with. And instead of distributing it to the people, giving it out and giving life to people, he hoards it for himself. He grows lots of plants. He has this entire army of these war boys that just go out and do his bidding. They collect other gasoline. They go to what's called the bullet farm and get more bullets so that they can continue to oppress people and just give them barely enough to survive so that those people are just surviving. Morton Joe, probably one of the worst things that he does is he actually keeps five wives locked up literally in a vault. Like literally, it's like a 20-foot round thing with the spinning like, like a bank vault. And he keeps five wives in there. And he frequently refers to them as his property, as his breeders, as his treasure. And there is no love there. They are not happy, but he keeps them locked up because he feels like he has control over everything. Now, as I've been watching this movie the past few weeks, I've started to notice a trend in culture. We are obsessed with the end of the world. Like, seriously, it seems like everywhere you look, it's like, the world will end and this will happen and we are the only ones who can save it. Like, consistently, like, seriously, like, there's the Hunger Games and then there's, like, Divergent and the Maze Runner that are all the same movie, mind you, and they're all about the end of the world and how we're going to triumph as a society and how we're going to make it through this. One of the most popular television shows is all about Rick Grimes surviving the zombie apocalypse. And like, it's an awesome show, right? We love it. As a culture, we can't get enough of it. Walking Dead's like on the the 20th season, it feels like. I stopped watching like a couple seasons ago because I'm like, yeah, I get it. There are zombies. They kill them, blah, blah, blah. And we as a culture are surviving. Like, even not post-apocalyptic movies. Like, I haven't seen the new Transformers movie because it's probably terrible. I'm not sure. Are you allowed to say that in a movie theater? I don't know. (laughs) But even that movie that's just an action movie, it's like, two worlds meet and only one can survive. Like, and it's just, we're obsessed. Like, even movies that have no, like, they shouldn't be talking about the end of the world. They're just an action movie about transforming cars. But even they need to make it about the end of the world. And so we have to ask the question, why as a society are we so obsessed with this? Why is this movie one of the most popular and well-rated movies of last year? Seriously, it got a 97% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. And I don't know if you put a lot of weight in Rotten Tomatoes, but like to me, it's make or break. Rotten Tomatoes tells me whether it's a good movie or not. Now, I've read a lot of articles this week about it, and I've pondered a lot, and there's been a lot of good answers, and I want to suggest one right now. That when we watch post-apocalyptic movies, that we look at the Rick Grimes, at the Katniss Everdeen, or at the Mad Max, and we kind of insert ourselves in. We go, yeah, 
I would be awfully cool as Mad Max. I would have that like super awesome car. I would have a way cooler beard than this. Like I would just like be so awesome. And we imagine ourselves, ourselves doing all those incredible things that they're doing in that movie. And if Max can survive in the world that he lives in, which let's be honest, is way worse than my life. When I have to go back to reality, suddenly, you know what? If Max can survive, I think I can survive too. Like, yeah, sure, I don't have to eat in salamander, but like there are some days that it's like, man, I kind of need some food and I'm running a little low on cash. And it's like, well, if Max could survive that, I can survive this. Or you feel alone and then you look at Max and go, well, he's like literally alone out in the middle of the desert being hunted. So he's got it worse than I am and he survives so I can survive as well. And once we like break down the polish of our lives, like, yeah, absolutely. We all want to make a difference. We all want to do something that matters. But at the end of the day, it's really hard to make a difference when we're all just trying to survive. When we're all just trying to make it another day, whether we're trying to make it to the end of the month or to when we find that good, like, perfect relationship. Or maybe, maybe we're just trying to survive till the kids can sleep through the night. Like, that's horrifying to me. I am not a parent, and I literally could not imagine that. Like, that would kill me. Like, it is amazing to me that parents survive. And you see it in parents' eyes sometimes. Have you ever noticed it? It's like that look of, I'm barely making it. I'm just, I'm holding on for dear life. And I am, old, like, just barely surviving and it seems like as a culture, we, t- we tend to not really admit it about ourselves because like no one really wants to admit that, right? Like that's just embarrassing. We don't want to tell people we're not, we're not thriving. But I think deep down, we all kind of know that we're all just kind of just trying to make it another day. And I think that's as a culture why we enjoy post-apocalyptic movies so much. And beyond just what the movie says, in my opinion, this whole series is about looking at what scripture says and looking at movies. And amazingly... Scripture actually says almost the same thing about us. And amazingly, and this is, this is what blew me away. Like even me, like once I was like, I was like, oh, I'll use this. Like it matches the imagery almost perfectly of Mad Max. So we're going to start off in Ephesians 2 right at the start. And it says, you were dead in the trespasses and sins and once you once walked like the rest of the world. Now, technically, Max was breathing. He was moving, but it kind of felt to me like he was dead, right? Like technically he was alive, but his spirit was dead. That world that he existed in, like the rest of the world, was all dead just like him. And it continues, following the prince of the power of the air. That sounds a lot like a Morton Joe. You're welcome to disagree with me, but I personally think that sounds like a lot like a Morton Joe. And then it continues and says, and the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. That are the war, those are the war boys, just throwing it out there. And it continues, among whom we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. You see, scripture doesn't necessarily use the word survive, but it does use the word dead. And it uses that same imagery that Max introduces us to. And it says, hey, you see all this imagery that this movie is using to describe the world? That's true about your own lives as well. And, and I want to be honest, this is hard for me to admit. I like to think that I have got my life together, that I am, I'm charming and I'm great to be around. And like everyone, like you would want to hang out with me because I've got my life together, right? But in the quiet moments and in the moments where I'm being honest with myself, this idea of just surviving comes up over and over and over again, that I'm just trying to make it another day. 
Now, luckily for everyone involved, the movie and scripture doesn't stop there. Because if it did, that would be really depressing. Like, have a great day, everyone. We're all dead. Like, congratulations. And, like, that's so boring. But luckily, the movie continues. Now, through a crazy series of circumstances that we're not going to watch, but you should definitely go and watch it on your own because it's super intense. It's super awesome. Max escapes from a Morton Joe, and he goes on the run. At the same time, this other gal named Furiosa, which is just a cool name, let's be honest, Furiosa escapes at the same time. Now, she's escaping with those five wives we talked about earlier. She breaks them out, and the seven of them all get together and decide to escape together on what's called the war rig. It's basically like a big 18-wheeler. Now, as you can imagine, the super kind and nice and Morton Joe wasn't too happy about it. So he literally got together three war parties and went after them. And he chased them down and barely, just barely, Max Furiosa and the wives escape from the clutches of a Morton Joe with their lives. Now, that's about an hour and a half of the movie we just recapped. So you should definitely go and check it. It's super intense. There's lots of explosions, which is why we can't show any clips during the service. However, while they're escaping, Furiosa explains to Mad Max what the plan is. The plan is to go and find something that they refer to as the green place. Now, let me tell you, the green place is perfect. There's clean water. There's fresh food. There's no dictator. Men and women are seen as equals, which is a really strong theme throughout this movie, and I wish I could talk about that more, but we just don't have time. Because Furiosa is just as much of a hero as Max is in this movie. And they're going to this this special place called the Green Place. Now, Max is a little skeptical about this Green Place, so on their journey, as they're crossing this desert to the Green Place, Max and Furiosa have a conversation about it, and that's what we're going to watch right now. So go ahead and roll the clip. Max, I think, actually gets this right. You know, hope is a mistake. If you can't fix what's broken, you'll actually go insane. And I know that's not a very encouraging thing, and don't worry, we're going we're gonna to come around, so stick with me. But remember how I talked about how that green place that I was waiting for? Well, guys, I'm standing in my green place. I have, like, seriously, the greatest job in the world. I'm serious. I'm not just saying it because my bosses are sitting right there, but I do. I love this job. It's everything I ever hoped that it would be, and yet somehow I still have all the same problems. It didn't fix me. It's not the green place that I expected. Yeah, sure, it's fulfilling. I love what I do, but in the same way that we show up to these green places, and yeah, sure, sometimes our circumstances are better, all of a sudden I realize that all those same personal issues that I had before are still inside of me. And Max and Furiosa have simply been trying to run from what's broken in hopes that they're eventually going to find a green place. Now, I'm with Max. I think that if they had set off across those salt flats, that they would have found only more hopelessness that they would have never found hope, and that if they had just kept running, they would have eventually just given up. Because hope is a mistake, because they weren't actually dealing with what was broken, they were simply trying to escape. And I don't know about you, but it certainly feels like I'm going insane sometimes. Like, I thought about cutting that part out of the quote, but then I was like, man, I certainly feel like I'm going crazy sometimes. Like, things are, are hard. 
And I'm just kind of standing around going, well, if I just keep going, I'm going to eventually show up at a place. And I continually run from what's broken to the next green place. And so I get to the green place, it disappoints me, and I go, well, okay, if I just keep going a little bit further. If I just, you know, this raise kind of, it was like a step in the right direction, but the next one, like, that's going to be what I need. And incredibly, in the same way that the movie didn't stop at that place of hopelessness, it continued on. Scripture doesn't stop with this place of us being dead. See, there's a a really big turn that happens in the passage that we talked about earlier, Ephesians 2. And so it continues. Ephesians 2, verse 4 says, But God, who was rich in mercy, in fact, he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, he gave us life. Now, to me, that sounds like fixing the problem. He's not giving you a step-by-step solution. He's not giving you a green place out there that, like, if you're good enough, if you work hard enough, if you have a good family, a white picket fence, like, the Canadian dream, like, then you're going to be happy. No, he says, whoa, whoa, whoa. You're never going to find hope out there. We have to do something entirely different. We have to fix what's broken. And the fact that you're dead is what's broken. And he continues, he gave us life when Christ raised from the dead. God saved you by his grace when you believed, for it was a gift from God, for we are God's masterpiece. And scripture points out the same thing that Max does. That, whoa, 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 stop running. Stop running away from what's broken as if you can escape it, because we're only going to find more hopelessness, more brokenness, and more death no matter how far we go, because at the heart of the issue, the heart of it is broken. In, that, in our lives, that means that, like what Daniel said earlier, we're physically alive, but we're spiritually dead. Inside, our lives look like what Max's world looks like. Scripture showed us that earlier. We feel that in our lives when we're honest with ourselves. And now scripture is saying, but don't worry. God did something about it. He wasn't content with you just running and just surviving. He did something about it. He sent his son and he fixed what was broken when he made what was dead alive. Now, something really interesting happens in the movie. You see, they do a 180. They've been running, they've been running, they've been running from the Citadel, from a Morton Joe, from everything that's broken, they've been running. And for the first time, they do a 180 in their lives and they turn back around and Furiosa says, Max, you're right. We need to fix what's broken. And so they turn back around and they head right back to the heart of the problem. Now on the way, they bump into a Morton Joe. Now, they end up defeating a Morton Joe. Spoilers, I know, it's an action movie, the hero wins big surprise, I know. Um, And they defeat a Morton Joe. Now, I want to say a couple things about this because this is pretty specific. Um, Defeating a Morton Joe wasn't what's fixing what's broken. That didn't fix anything. Now, I don't think that this is totally lost to us. I think that there's something that we can learn from this. And I want to be very clear that I'm not suggesting that violence is the answer. (laughs) We don't live in post-apocalyptic Australia. We live in Canada where it's safe and nice, and we're all nice to one another. But they defeat Immortan Joe to get to what was broken because Immortan Joe was blocking the path. And sometimes in our lives, we're going to do a 180 and go, okay, you know what? I think you're right. I think scripture is right. I need to turn around and I need to have Christ fix what's broken in my life. But we look and there's things that stand in our way. Maybe it's anxiety or depression, or maybe it's the guilt of I've been running away from the problem for so long. I've created quite a mess for me. And now as I turn around and I look back at the problem and I go, okay, yeah, 
God can fix the, what's broken, but there's a lot of stuff in the way, and I'm not really sure that I can get there. Well, it says over and over again in Scripture that God isn't just content with fixing what's broken, but he's going to get you there too. That in the same way that there was something that stood in the way of Max and Furiosa from getting to what's broken, there are sometimes things in our lives that we need to defeat, and Christ gives us that power, whether it's guilt, whether it's anxiety, whether it's just our past stupid mistakes, but it stands in our way, and God says, no, we're going to move those things to the side, we're going to defeat that in your life, and then we're going to fix what's broken. And then Max and Furiosa and the girls show back up at the citadel. In this movie, this represents the heart of what's broken. This is the, the, the crown of darkness, the worst thing that could ever be found on earth. This is what represents death in this world. And they show up. And what's amazing is that I think they get it right. Because it's not defeating a Morton Joe that brings life to what is dead. It's something entirely different. So we're going to take a look right now. So go ahead and roll the clip. So Mad Max, Furious, and the girls show back up to the citadel, and if they had just showed up and said, yep, we are the new Morton Joes, everyone bow down, all this water is for us, they never would have fixed the problem. And so I don't think it's them returning as triumphant, you know, warriors that what gives life and what fixes what's broken. I think it's something else really different. I think it's the fact that that water cascaded down on the people. More water than those people had ever seen in their entire lives. It says in a different part of the movie that there's so much water stored up that they could, they could like satisfy the people for decades. And you see, incredibly, in the same way that Scripture reflected the same imagery at the beginning of the movie, Scripture actually talks about fixing the problem the exact same way Max does. You see, John 4, 10 through 15 says, Jesus said... If you only knew the gift that God has for you, you would ask me and I would give you living water. The woman that he was talking to responded, but how can you offer me better water than this well? You see, they were having a conversation by like a literal well. And Jesus replied, anyone who drinks this water will soon become thirsty again, but those who drink the water that I give will never be thirsty again. The living water becomes a fresh and bubbling spring within them, giving them eternal life. You see, that water gave those people life. It fixed what was broken in their lives. It took dead people and it poured out so much water on them that they could finally live and thrive. And as I think in my mind about what living water would look like, there's nothing better than that image of just like, seriously, so much water just pouring down on the people. And you see, that's what Christ does in our lives. He takes it and he says, you know, you're broken, you're fixed. Do a 180, stop trying to survive, stop trying to run away to do a 180, come back to what's broken and let's fix it. I have water, I have living water to pour out. And so earlier in the movie, Max said, I think correctly that you know hope is a mistake. If you can't fix what's broken, you'll go insane. And I think he was right. If that's what, if you're just trying to run and survive, this is true. You, hope is a mistake if you're just trying to get to the next green place. But in light of what Christ says, in light of the fact that we have the ability to fix what's broken in our lives, we have a different, a different truth to hold to. And this is what I want to end on, that just surviving is a mistake because Christ fixes what's broken. 
we end up so far out here going, man, I've been just, I've been trying, I've been trying to make it work, I've been trying to survive, but I'm kind of just done surviving. And frankly, surviving is a mistake because we don't have to just survive. We can thrive because Christ is gonna pour out living water into our lives and fix what's broken. And we don't have to keep running and just trying to survive to make that work. And maybe you're sitting here today going, okay, Josh, that's really great. I'm really happy that you can fix you know, my heart, but I still have very real issues in my life. But there was a really key phrase in that scripture that it said that once we're filled up with living water, that we become a fresh bubbling spring ourselves. We talk about overflowing life a lot here at Connect. That's what that means. That once we get filled up, we get filled up with such a, a water that's so alive that we turn around and we, we're bubbling and overflowing ourselves. And when you go as somebody who's alive and face the problems, those problems are no longer just surviving, but you're thriving. And you have to fix what's broken before you can ever, ever deal with what's broken in your life. Because if you are a broken person trying to fix something, you will only ever find brokenness. But if you are alive and thriving and you deal with the things in your life after that, then there is life. Then there is, um, you know, success. And we can overcome these things in our life. But first we have to deal with numero uno. We have to fix what's dead in our own lives first. We need to let Christ make us alive. So I don't know about you, but I'm tired of just surviving. I'm tired. I think surviving is a mistake because Christ isn't content with just giving us a laundry list. He isn't just content with saying work harder. He's saying, no, we not gotta do a 180. We gotta go to the heart of the problem and we gotta fix it. We gotta pour water into it. We gotta make it alive. We need to make you into a live creature because we're, we're tired of being dead. We're tired of just surviving. Maybe that's something that I just feel, but I think we're all, we share that sentiment of just being tired of it. I think surviving is, is lame. I don't think we have to settle for just surviving. I want to thrive because just surviving is a mistake because Christ fixes what's broken. 